Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. One of the most important words in theology is justification. Simply put, our main problem in life is that we've done things that God does not want us to do. And if you're ever honest with yourself, you know that to be the case. You've done things we could call bad. Even your own conscience would testify, this is bad, and then you've done it. That puts us all in a very bad place. Because God, who is the judge for all of us, is not just good, but He's perfectly good. If He were just a little bit good, He could put up with a little bit of bad in you. But if God is perfectly good, and if the judge of all the earth will do right, you will be judged for every bad, for every shade of bad. It's because God's perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. Therefore, the only hope any of us have is ourselves to live a perfect life. But none of us has done that. None of us can do that. You're His creature. He made you. So He has every right to expect you to do what He calls you to do. You've not done it. You're not all the way good. You are also bad. All of us are. That's our main problem. We are all doomed. That's true. Except that there is a word that provides an answer for that main problem we have. And it is the word justification. Don't be scared of the word. I know it's a big word. Don't be scared of the word. This is important. Justification. It means literally to righteous size you. It's the same as the word righteous. The idea of being right before God. Him looking at your life and saying, you're right. You've done the right thing. You are right. We're not like that in ourselves, none of us. We need to be righteous-sized. We need to be justified. That's what the word justification is all about. It sits at the heart of the gospel. It is God's way of justifying us, us somehow getting that righteousness that we need that we don't have. That is the main thing you need. It is not the car that you would like to get. I hope you get it. That's wonderful. That's great. I have no problem with that. But that is not the main thing you need in life. It's not the next house. It's not a career change. The main thing you need in life is justification. It's true for all of us. Justification is our only hope for joy in the life to come. It's actually our only hope for true joy in this life as well. The whole question of our existence is how can I get to the place where God looks at me and approves of me? God who has all power, infinite power, and can secure my lasting happiness. That God, how is He going to look at me and say, you have my favor. I will do everything for your good. How can I get, in other words, this justification? The thing is, there are two major answers to this question floating about, and you've encountered them both, and we'll leave here and encounter them both again. The one answer to this question of how we get justification before God is do as good as you can, because after all, we're all human. 
to err as human. None of us are perfect. If you meet God halfway, He'll meet you there. Do what is in you, and He'll make up for the rest of that. So as long as you're not a Hitler, as long as you're not out doing what so-and-so and so-and-so is doing, as long as you do the very best you can, certainly God won't expect more of you than that. Do your best, work your hardest, and you'll get into heaven just fine. What we call this in theology is justification, because you're right in God's sight, but it's justification by works. Makes sense because it's based on what? What you do, your works. If you work hard enough, you are justified. If you don't work hard enough, you're not justified. That's one answer that's given. There's a second answer given, and it's this. You can never do enough, so give up. Stop trying. Instead of you trying to work hard enough to win God's favor, cry out to God knowing that you can't do good enough and ask Him to provide freely for you the righteousness that you need. This is not you working, it's literally you stopping working and simply trusting, what we call faith, exercising faith in God, looking to Him and saying, I need you to do this, nothing in my hands I bring, I'm looking at you alone. So we call this justification by faith alone. And in justification by faith alone, when you trust in God's provision of righteousness, He provides that righteousness. He's already done all the work. He sent His Son, Jesus, who lived a perfectly righteous life, died upon the cross in our place, rose again, and now anyone who believes, simply trusts, receives what God's already provided. He's extending His hand saying, here's righteousness. I will credit it to you by faith alone. Not what you do, but what He did. As you're going to see in our text in Galatians today, justification by faith alone is right. It's right. And justification by works is wrong. It is fatally wrong. It is a weight that will drag you down to destruction forever. Justification by faith alone will take you up to the highest heaven. That's the point of our text today as we continue in Galatians. So I want to read you this text and then we'll consider that together. Let's listen to the words of this as if your very soul depended upon what you hear, because it truly does. This is Galatians 5, beginning in the first verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, who's writing this, say to you that if you accept circumcision, this Jewish work, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. That is justification by works. You have fallen away from grace. For 
through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. By faith, righteousness, righteousness, justification by faith alone. There it is in verse 5. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. If you've been with us as we've studied through Galatians, I hope by this point you've gotten past the temptation to stumble over some of the details in Galatians that were unique to Paul, who's writing, to his time and place 2,000 years ago in the Near East. So, for example, you've probably seen in this passage over and over, circumcision, 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 and you might be tempted to think, this passage has nothing to do with me. I've not given two seconds of a thought to circumcision or uncircumcision. That's not even in the orbit of my life. So, this passage is not about me. You're wrong. <laughs> The details don't matter so much. Circumcision, the point that he's making is you who would be justified by the law, as we'll see, it might not be circumcision, uncircumcision for us, but it's works, works of many kinds. And anyone who tries justification by works of whatever kind is severed from Christ. Christ is no benefit to you if that's you. But on the other hand, if you by faith are waiting on God's righteousness, looking to Him by faith, justification by faith alone, if that's you, you are secure now. You are secure tomorrow. You are secure forever. This passage is about you. Life, death, your life or death, not just here, but forever. It's in this passage. So don't get tripped up with circumcision. We'll explain that here in a minute. This is a passage about us. Every single one of us has two paths set before us. And one is a path that leads to life. It is the path of justification by faith alone. And it's available to everyone here. No exceptions. Zero exceptions. It's available to you. The other path leads to death. It's a bigger path. More follow it. But it is justification by works. And those who follow that path never find justification. It's not down that path. It's down this path. So this is a passage about you. God gives it to you today. He's ordained and worked things out that you would be here today so that you would hear for the first time or be reminded that life, eternal life, comes to us through faith alone, not through works. So let's look at these two paths, one after the other, as we study this in this passage. So let's begin with the path of death, the path that Scripture wants you to think of as death itself, as poison, as a fire. Don't go there. Stay away from there. It is the path of justification by works. Look at verses 2 through 4 again. Look. That's what we're doing. Look closer. Look. Look. I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. 
You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. These few verses touch on the very heart of the false teaching of the Judaizers, a group that this whole letter, the Galatians, was written to attack. It's the point of this whole letter is to fight against the Judaizers. And this passage gets to the very essence of what the Judaizers were trying to do. Yes, like I said, circumcision is involved. You see it here. Verse 2, if you accept circumcision. Verse 3, to every man who accepts circumcision. Circumcision is involved, but circumcision doesn't matter. It's not inherently good, bad, under the new covenant. Not wrong or right. Paul, who's writing this, remember, he was a faithful Jew. He was circumcised. He says, if you accept circumcision, cut off from Christ. He was circumcised. So you see that something more than circumcision is going on here. In fact, you may remember that in the book of Acts, which chronicles Paul's life, there was a time where he took along a young protege, Timothy, who was not circumcised, and Paul had him circumcised. Paul, who's saying this? Who wrote this? He had him circumcised to not offend the Jews. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, when Paul circumcised Timothy, did Timothy come under the four curses of our text? Christ will be no advantage to you. He is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. He was circumcised. No, because this passage is not about circumcision. Not even for Paul in his day. It is about, that's not the essence. The essence of what the Judaizers was teaching. Circumcision is a detail. The essence of what they were teaching is in verse 3. You who would be justified by the law. Paul was not against this work or that work. Paul was against justification by works, any kind of works. In their case, with the Judaizers in that Jewish context, the work that the Judaizers wanted the Galatians to trust in for their salvation was being circumcised. That was the work for them. There are some Bible scholars who have tried to limit what Paul's saying to just Jewish works like circumcision, dietary restrictions, the things that were unique to his circumstance. And they're saying that's all Paul was saying. Paul wasn't condemning justification by works. He was just saying that they were focused on these Jewish markers for their community, and he was against that. No, no. That was a mere detail. Paul was against justification by works as a general concept, transcending all cultures, applying directly to you today. Like he says in verse 6, circumcision is kind of irrelevant to him. Circumcision, not circumcision, irrelevant to him. He says the same thing actually two other times in his letters, Galatians 6.15 that we'll see. He says, quote, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, 1 Corinthians 7, 19, he says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. It's not about circumcision. It's not about circumcision. That's why this passage applies to you, you know. 
It is about justification by works. In fact, in Romans chapter 4, this is made absolutely clear. Paul could not state this in any more broad of terms than when he says, quote, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. There, when he speaks against being justified by works, he just says to the one who works. It's not about circumcision. Works of any kind to get right with God. The essence of the problem in the Galatians, among the Judaizers, and in the world today is justification by works. Understood this way, you'll come to realize that almost everyone you interact with and know are on this path of justification by works that the Bible so adamantly speaks against. If you ask a neighbor of yours, how do you know that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? Three out of four people will answer, I've done the best I can, or I've been going to church since I was a kid, or I went through confirmation, I go to mass, or I'm not Hitler, or I try to treat others the way I want to be treated, or I give to my church. Do you know what all of those things are? Works, 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 works. So when you're asking, really, how do you know you're justified? How do you know God approves of you? And the answer most of the time will be works of some variety. For them, it was circumcision. For someone else, it's church attendance. For someone else, it's non-church attendance because we're not like those hypocrites. It's something, but it's always works, works, works. That's what I've done. Because isn't that how life works? You do stuff, you get rewards. You do bad stuff, you get punished. You do good stuff, you get rewards. And our natural setting as humans since the fall is to feel the same way about God. If I do good enough in the ancient world, sacrifice animals, do whatever you can to get God not angry at us. We don't sacrifice animals today. Very glad about that but we have our own versions. We go to church. We don't want to be there, but it's our fire insurance. It's to assure that we're good Christian people. We treat other people well, and we assume we're justified. That is justification by works. Or there are more nuanced, subtle forms of justification by works. In our context, many of you have a Roman Catholic background or Roman Catholic families or friends. Roman Catholicism actually teaches justification by faith, but not by faith alone, which ends up just being justification by works. If you want just a snippet of the more technical details of this, within Roman Catholicism, the teaching is that justification is an infused righteousness from God. This is the 1997 Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, quote, Justification, that's what we're looking for, is conferred in baptism, which is a work. You have to do it, yeah. It conforms us to the righteousness of God who makes us inwardly just by the power of His mercy. The basic Roman Catholic view is that God will declare that you are righteous, he will say, I approve of you only if you actually are. 
And therefore, justification in the Catholic way of thinking is something that God infuses into you. It says there, he conforms you to the righteousness of God. You begin by the sacrament, sacrament, as they call it, of baptism. You continue with other sacraments like mass and confession. But all of this is God actually making you righteous in your thinking and your behavior. So then God steps back, looks at what he made in you, and says, well, you're righteous, so you're righteous. Justification. Well, yeah, that's God's help. Yes, it's God doing it. But at the end of the day, all of that depends upon what? Your works. If you don't do the works of baptism, the sacraments, if you don't do the works, no justification. And if you do the works, justification. That is justification by works. And there are a million other forms we could discuss right now, but we won't. Works, works, works. Is that what your hope is based upon for being right with God? You're on a bad path. That's the essence of the problem. Seeking to be right with God by our works. This text also shows us not only the essence of this problem, the essence of this path, but also the outcome of this path. The outcome is, sadly, it's condemnation. Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, and remember, it is not about circumcision, that is them accepting that as what they're trusting in to be justified. If you live by justification by works, Christ will be of no advantage to you. As Paul says in chapter 2 of this letter, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And that is the question, isn't it? If you are trusting in any of your own good works, and if you believe that if you do enough good works, you can be made right with God, then why did Jesus go through all the trouble of coming to our messed up earth and suffering agony here, and dying upon a cross to forgive our sins. If you can forgive your own sins by just sinning less, well then just do that. Let's not make Jesus suffer for that. That's Paul's point in chapter 2. There's no purpose for which Christ died. Either Christ died to forgive you your sins because you couldn't take care of them on your own, or you can take care of them on your own. If you walk the path that says, I don't need Jesus, I got this. If you're like the toddler in the car who cannot buckle himself in but is adamant that he can. And you're there saying, no, 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 God. Hey, no, 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 I got this. I got this. Let me try it. Wait, give me a second. Give me a second. And God is waiting for you to just finally give up so he can do it. If that's you, you say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need, I've got this. You can help a little, but I'm going to do this. God honors that request. You say you don't need Jesus. You don't need his work on your behalf. Then you won't have it. That's what Paul's saying here. No advantage to you. If you're depending on your own blood, sweat, and tears, then you do not get the benefit of Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears for you on the cross. I testify again, he says in the text, to every man who accepts circumcision, that is justification by works, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you walk on the path of works, then you have to walk on this path perfectly, 100%. 
This is what Jesus' own half-brother James, if you remember, in his letter said. He said it like this. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. You know that every system of works righteousness in this world has to distinguish between those sins that it considers too much and those which it will tolerate. God's not like that. So, again, for example, within Catholicism, you do have venial sins. You can deal with those in-house. And you've got mortal sins that'll kill the grace that's inside you. There's a distinction. You can't do those. You can do those. But God looks at all the commands He's given, says, you, you got to do them all. I'm not getting rid of any of these. The only way that works righteousness even seems to work is that we reach up to God's perfect high standard and have to pull it down to a much lower rung and say, I can jump over that. But God says, that's not what I'm asking you to jump over. So Paul says, if you want a works righteousness, justification by works, you are obligated to keep the entire law. 100%. No more lies from now till kingdom come. No more sinful thoughts from now till kingdom come. Good luck. Good luck with that. We can't do it. But if you want to be justified by works, it is the standard that God has set. It is perfection, nothing less. You can't have impurity in God's paradise. He won't allow it. He's a good judge. If you don't want your sins forgiven by someone else, you want to do it yourself, handle it yourself, you've got to be perfect. That's what he's saying there. Lastly, he says, you are severed from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. He's not talking to those who have truly trusted in Christ, gotten the wheelbarrow, their life is united to Christ by faith, and then that gets cut. That's not possible. John chapter 10, Jesus says, no one will snatch my own from my hand. But he's talking about those in a situation like ours. You have a formal association with Jesus. You live in a country that in some ways is Christian. You're in a church. It's a Christian church. You may have family. They're Christian. You hear sermons. You read your Bible from time to time. You pray now and again. You have a sort of external, formal connection with Jesus. And he says, but if you want to be justified by works and you persist down that path, you're hearing the gospel? No. Going down this path, he says, you've cut yourself off from ever really benefiting from everything Jesus represents, everything he's come to do. You're severed. There is a grace, a free grace offered, salvation, forgiveness of your sins. It's extended by the hand of Christ, and you slap that hand, and he says, okay, you fall away from that grace. It's not yours. You don't want it. It's not yours. It might be this morning that you yourself are trying to be justified by works. Probably not circumcision. Probably church attendance or general do-goodism. You are not as bad as someone else is. The difficult thing about justification by works is for all of us. And all of us either were that or are that now. It's really hard to see that in ourselves. So maybe some tests that will help you is, for example, have you compartmentalized your life so that your relationship with God is kind of over here on one side, consists primarily of maybe this, 
Sunday morning? You say, yes, I pay my dues, so I'm right with God. And then the rest of your life you see as the leftovers. After you've paid your dues to God, now you can live your life basically however you want. As long as you keep paying your dues, being a generally good person, going to church, putting the money in the offering, and you've compartmentalized your life. That is an evidence of a works righteousness. Just in that case, you think, I just have to pay this much, work this much, and I'm righteous, so now I get the rest of my life to myself. Or you might, on the other hand, not experience that. You might be more like the poor Roman Catholic monk, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, who said this, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. You are trying so hard to be good enough for God. Later in life, Luther believed that he permanently damaged his digestion by his fastings and harsh treatment of his body. You might be in that condition, desperately wanting to make sure God approves of you. He says, all my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I'd kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. But you know what Luther didn't have? He had a lot of prayers. He had a lot of fastings. He had a lot of labors. He didn't have peace. Because he was walking down the path of justification by works. No, he was running as hard as his legs could take him. But you never get to the end of that path. You never find justification. And so you never find peace. You may be on that path today, and therefore this text is for you as well, because the text not only says that is a deadly path, but it gives you the alternative. There's another answer to this question of justification, and it's the one to which we now turn in our text. And it is a path of life that is called justification by faith alone. Here's the essence of it in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, by works, no, 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 by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Righteousness, that's what we're looking for. We have a hope in it. How? Faith. Works? No. Faith? Yes. Now notice right off the bat, when we get to verse 5, that the focus has changed completely. Before you see anything else, just notice that the focus has changed. When we're talking the path of justification by works, we're talking about details particular to our time, whether you do them or you don't do them. Circumcision, uncircumcision. And it changes as time goes on. Playing cards or not playing cards. Smoking, not smoking. We can poke fun at these because they were past generations. We have our own today. Certain little things that you do, and they're all specific. So if you were to go and look at a different generation of Christians on a different part of the globe, and they would look and they would say, playing cards was an issue? <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> what is that about? How did that happen? Works righteousness always focuses on details of what you do and don't do. In Paul's case, circumcision, uncircumcision. That's what it's all about. That's what all the discussion's about. That's what all the interest is about. All the focus is about. Because you've got to be good enough for God. So, here are the things you need to do. But when we get to verse 5, which is justification by faith, Paul begins by dropping four transcendent, massive, theological 
bombs, if you will. Look at these. The Spirit, faith, hope, righteousness. It's like what he said in Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those things apply to all people through all time. Even if circumcision doesn't, cards don't, whatever. That applies for all time. The alternative to the Egyptian slavery of a works righteousness, where you are laboring for a pharaoh who doesn't love you and will throw you in the Nile in the end, the alternative to that is peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Does that sound better? Doesn't that sound better? Don't you want to be on that path? Justification by faith alone. On this path, as our text tells us in verse 5, the Holy Spirit Himself, God, comes into us, works mightily in us, a change of heart, a change of nature, His work in us, leading to us by faith, giving up on our own attempts to be right with Him. Forget it. Giving up on buckling the seatbelt. I can't do it. And we look to God instead. And he says, well, here's what I've provided. It's Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take Christ's righteousness. We'll take his obedience. We'll take his perfect record. We've got nothing to offer. It's justification by faith alone. That's it. That's all I have. I have nothing else. And the moment we do that, we get into the state in verse 5. It says, in that way, we eagerly wait eagerly wait for what? He calls it the hope of righteousness. The moment by faith you cling to Christ, like we saw in these baptisms, the moment you do that, you are justified. You are right with God. So that's you. That's you right now. You got other issues in your life. You got financial problems. You got some marriage problems. You got things you're worried about this week at work, at home, children who are struggling. Listen, not to minimize those things, but I will. You are right in the sight of God right now. Not because you handled those marriage problems well. Not because you handled your money well. Faith alone. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? That is our joy. That is our hope. But it says, although we are justified now, in this case, he's looking forward and it says we're eagerly waiting. What are we waiting for? Not necessarily to be justified. We already are. But if you trust in Christ... Your focus goes forward to a day of judgment that is to come. That used to be a terror to you, but now look, we eagerly wait. He's looking at that day of judgment where God will call every person to account for their deeds, for their lives. We're going to be there, you and me. And he says, now when we think about that, we're not terrified. But now we eagerly wait for that day. Why? Because we have a hope in what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ that is applied to us. If you were to go to the day of judgment, carrying in your arms your big bundle of your own works, everything good that you've done, you could be as saintly as Mother Teresa herself, and you carry those to the day of judgment, I wouldn't want to be you. What a terror to stand before God and give an account, because you will go carrying not only the good that you've done, but you must go carrying all the bad. You don't want to do that. But instead, you can drop all of that and go 
in Christ's hand, hand in hand, to the day of judgment. And if you're holding Christ's hand, he says, don't worry, I'll vouch for you. And you go to the day of judgment like that, you know what you have? A hope of righteousness. It is an alien righteousness. It's not yours, it's his. But by faith alone in him, you get credited his righteousness. You say, well, what about all my sin that's got to be dealt with by a holy God? He says, I dealt with it. Remember the cross? That's what that was about. He died for that sin. And you get his righteousness. Justification by faith alone. That gives us a hope of that righteousness that when we stand before God on the day of judgment or even more immediately when we die and instantly are before him, we have a hope of righteousness. Not on the basis of our works, on the basis of his works. This is not justification by faith and also your works. That's just justification by works. That's why it is not a matter of, well, First, you need to tidy up your life a little bit, and then you can come trust in Jesus. You're not very Christian-y. Become a little more Christian-y. You're too sinful to come to Jesus. No. Deal with your temptations first, and once you get those under control, come to Jesus. No. You know what all that is? Is that works that I hear? Those are works and works and works. It is not works. It is faith alone in Jesus Christ. And the alone is so important. Faith alone after I've gotten my act together. No, no, not after. Faith alone. Once I've dealt with all the doubts that I'm struggling with, no. Faith alone. It's not about you. Stop looking at you. You look at Christ. It is an alien righteousness, meaning it's someone else's righteousness. Don't look at your righteousness. It's, it's not good. It's not good. Don't look at that. It is Christ's righteousness. It is so good. And it is credited to you by faith. Faith unites you to Christ. And being united to Christ here, you get his righteousness. That's the whole point. It is not like infused righteousness, God saying, well, you're righteous, so you're righteous. It is God looking at Jesus, his son, and saying, he looks righteous. And then looking at you, united to him, and saying, therefore, you are righteous. You are declared to be righteous. In Philippians 3, Paul put it this way. Paul said, for Christ's sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, day of judgment, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that is through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Not your righteousness, His righteousness. The thief who died upon the cross next to Jesus had lived a bad, bad life. In fact, he cried over Jesus to the other criminal being crucified on the other side. We are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Bad man, other side of Jesus, bad man. Lived bad lives. They're being crucified, even in an earthly sense. Bad people. And yet, that thief, you know where he is today? In paradise. He died that day. How many good works can you fit into your life when your hands and feet are literally nailed to a cross and you will be dead in a few hours? Can you do the sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church? 
Can you go to church? Can you reform your life? What can you do? What can you do like this? Not much. This is all you can do. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did he do? Nothing. He believed. That's all he could do. He had faith in that man dying next to him, that he was going into a kingdom, that he was the true king. And you know what Jesus said to him? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What? What? Wait, what? A life of sin, of that kind of sin. And in one day, now you're going to be in paradise? Don't you have to like pay off your debts or something? Only if it's justification by works. He had faith. And that's all that was required of him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the essence of the path of justification by faith. You also see as we come to a close now, the outcome of such a path. He says here in verse 6, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Many people are against this notion of justification by faith alone because they're afraid that if you tell people that, if I tell you that from this pulpit, you're going to believe in Jesus and go out and live terribly. Fire insurance, we can live it up, sit up a storm. You notice the people who got baptized today who are clear that they've been saved by faith alone? Are they going out and sending up a storm like never before? Hmm, why? Why are they now filled with love, service? Why are they fighting sin if that's not what's going to save them? It's right there. The only thing that matters is faith, but look at the kind of faith. A living faith, working through love. Living faith, not dead faith, not so-called faith, but real living faith. If you're in the wheelbarrow, not just saying, yeah, in the wheelbarrow, changes you, and that faith works through love. That's what it does. So don't think, well, once I love people, I'll trust in Christ, be a Christian, because then I'm like ready. You will never be ready to be a Christian until you're already a Christian, because it is this faith that works through love. You need that faith that will work itself out in love. That's why verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christian freedom is not freedom to go out and live as we want. True Christians do not do that. If you've trusted in Christ, you've heard this great gospel, you've walked the path of justification by faith alone, your heart is filled with love and joy, you are freed up, your time is freed up because you don't have to go to masses and say rosaries, you don't have to go do all of these specific acts, you've got all this time now. Your money is freed up, you don't have to pay it into Scientology or something, trying to indulgences, what are you, trying to earn something before God. Your mental space is freed up from the agony of, does God approve of me, does he not approve of me? What are you going to do with all this freed up stuff in your life? You're going to love people. Verse 13 that we'll see soon. You are called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, here's how you use your freedom, serve one another. Paul is saying in verse 1 here, don't go get another set of rules as a Christian. Check, 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 check. If I do that, I'm a good Christian. Don't, don't make up rules and put yourself under them. No, no, no. You've got freedom. Here's what you should do with your freedom. Look around. You see some needs around here? 
I assure you, there are needs. There are lots of needs. In this whole world, there are so many needs. You're freed up through faith in Christ. You don't have to meet any of those needs, but you get to meet lots of those needs. That is the Christian ethic and the Christian way. For freedom, you've been set free. If you this morning are walking on the path of justification by faith alone, that faith is not alone. It will work itself out in love. So enjoy that freedom and demonstrate your enjoyment of it by loving others well. Mm-hmm.